Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 3, Term 1. This is Lesson 1. We're beginning a new year. This is 2017. Last year we left off in John 3.16. And so what we're going to do is pick up there. This is a conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. We're going to begin in John 3.16, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world. Remember again that Nicodemus is a religious Jew, and he believes that God so loved the Jews, that he gave his only begotten son. And all the Gentiles can go to him. No. <laughs> okay. right. And this is, we're going to see this mentality, and we're going to talk about it, in fact, today. This is the reason why Jesus says, God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, dear Carson says here, that it emphasizes the intensity of God's love, and the words which in the literal text reads, His one and only Son, stresses the greatness of the gift, the Father gave His best, His unique and beloved Son. It emphasizes the intensity of God's love, when it says that He gave His only begotten Son. And in the literal text, it's actually... It says, His one and only Son. And because it says that, it shows us and it stresses the greatness of the gift. That the Father gave the very best that He had. His one and only Son. Alright? And he, he puts it this way, His unique and beloved Son. That means that there was nobody else like Him. Alright, God didn't have many sons and everything else. When the Bible talks about the sons of God in, in, in Job, it's not talking about lots of Jesuses. <laughs> okay? It's talking about angels. Okay? And we talked about why it puts it that way there. But once again, what we're seeing here is how much God loved us. In fact, according to William Hendrickson, in the Greek, and this is really important, actually reads that his son, the only begotten, he gave. Okay, so that's actually the, the word order in the Greek. Alright, and putting it this way, all the emphasis is on the astounding greatness of the gift. Hence, in this clause, the object, his son, precedes the verb that he gave. So he says, this incredibly precious gift he gave. And so it's really important that we understand how incredible the gift was that he gave. Now, the only reason that God was able to legally do this is because his covenant partner, Abraham, when asked to give up his only son, didn't hesitate to do so. And thereby not only allowing God, but actually obligating him to do the same thing in return. Now, that was in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2. And uh, I've got it down here in your footnotes. Let me just read that very quickly. It says, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Alright, and remember again, unlike Isaac who was replaced by a ram that was caught in the thicket by its horns, God's son had no substitute, but was himself our substitution. The whole point of that, and see, this is something again that we need to understand. When God asks you to do something that may seem a little bit hard, He's obligating himself to do so much more. And we need to understand in the whole scheme of things what's going on. So many people read that story and think, see, God was testing Abraham. That wasn't God testing Abraham, that was God obligating himself. 
And we need to understand those things. If we understand how much God loves us, then we won't complain about the things He asks us to do. Because we'll realize, at the end of the day, He is going to come back with so much more that will bless us. Somewhere, somehow. We may not know right now. And I find this to be the case many times over where God will ask me to do something, and I won't realize why until I start doing it, and sometimes weeks later, something will come of it. Sometimes it's years later. Okay? Can I just say this? If you do it with a good heart attitude, you won't be looking for seconds later. What am I getting out of this? (laughs) Okay? You just do it for the sake of doing the right thing. And you know what? The blessing when it comes, you'll recognize and go, wow, that's amazing, God. Amen? The problem we have sometimes with people is they do something and they say, where's the blessing? I I want it now. Where is it? You said if I do this, you'll do that. Where is it? The that. Where's the that? Okay, sometimes it's timing. Sometimes God needs to plant seeds today for a harvest you are going to need six months or even six years down the track. Are you all here? Amen. That's why it says, with faith and patience, we receive the promises. William MacDonald makes... The point that God has no other son like the Lord Jesus. It was an expression of his infinite love that he would be willing to give his unique son for a race of rebel sinners. That whoever believes in him should not perish. William Hendrickson says that the perishing, I'm on the next page, of which this verse speaks, indicates divine condemnation, complete and everlasting. Did you get that? I want to stop there for a minute. Alright? When he says that whoever believes in him should not perish, see, we look at the word perish and think, oh, well, that food perished, you know, just like it. Okay? (laughs) That's not what it means. This is something that is complete and everlasting. We don't understand that this is not a short-time deal. This is long-term. Amen? And all the people in hell will agree with that one. You know, like somebody said, there's no unbelievers in hell. (laughs) Okay? It is the antonym or the complete opposite of having everlasting or never-ending life. See, so that was a contrast there. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can we say this way? Whoever believes in Him will not have everlasting damnation but everlasting life. And to avoid this perishing and enjoy uh, everlasting, never-ending life, all that is required is that you believe in God's only begotten Son. Wow, that's it. Just believe. Isn't it funny how difficult that is for people? See, one of the things that the devil did was to sow doubt from the very beginning into mankind about God's love, God's provision, and everything about God. Okay, so that when the time came, it would be a difficult thing to believe in something that we think, A, doesn't exist. It's all in our minds, you know, I mean, really. Okay, alright. And, and B, if, if He loved us so much, how come He's letting all these bad things happen? And do I really want to put my trust in someone that is looking after the world the way He is and it's doing a really bad job of it? Okay? The reason that the devil does that, is because it's so simple to get saved. It's so simple to get in. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Wow. And yet it's so hard. Again, because 
of what the devil does. You know, a baby will believe anything because none of the doubts and all of the things that the devil uh, sows into people's lives haven't gone into it yet. Amen? That's why we have to really be careful what we say to kids as they're growing up. Don't put your doubt, your unbelief, and all of the things that limit your life onto them. Amen? Just because you can't do it, let's see if they can. They might. They probably do better than you. Just leave them alone. Oh, yes, brother, but no, no, but. Leave it alone. What you think, you think you're doing them a favor, you're actually taking away the thing that God said. If you can believe, all things are possible. And when you do this, when you believe in God's only begotten Son, Jesus says that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In short, it is, it is only in connection with Christ that everlasting life is ever obtained. And why Jesus says in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Means there is no other way. Which is why He goes on to say, no one comes to the Father except through Me. People have been saying there are lots of ways to God. Jesus right then, right there, cleared the whole thing up. And he says, you think there's a lot of ways. And to the Jews, you know what that meant? Stop thinking that all the stuff that you're doing and all your rituals and ceremonies and everything else is going to get you into heaven. There's only one way to get in, through Christ. That's the reason why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except through me. Okay, so that once and for all settled the fact that Jesus Christ was the only way. And every other way then is false. There, there is no other way in. Are you all here? So we need to understand this. Now, D.A. Carson in his commentary concludes by saying that the Lord's ultimate purpose is the salvation of those in the world who believe in Him. Did you catch that? The Lord's ultimate purpose is the salvation, okay, for people to get saved in the world. Not just in, in the religious hierarchy, not just all the Jews, not just all the Nicodemuses, okay? That's why Jesus is saying this to a Jew, okay? That God so loved the world that He gave His Son, that whoever believes in Him in the world... See, this is where the Jews always thought that they had kind of like a, a bit of a monopoly on it, and they could do whatever they wanted. And Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself, and we'll get there in just a moment. This is the, the, we're going to see why Jesus said this very clearly today. So let me get to it. Let me continue on here. So again, He says, The ultimate purpose is the salvation of those in the world who believe in Him. Whoever believes in Him experiences new birth, has eternal life, and is saved. Do you see those three things? They experience new birth, they have eternal life, and they are saved. Okay? Alright. The alternative is to perish. To lose one's life. To be doomed to destruction. There is no third option. So either you get saved and receive eternal life, or you go the other way. And it's not good. Okay? Now, Jesus goes in the same. In John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now, we see several things in here. So let's go through it one bit at a time. Okay? 
First, Jesus makes it clear that God didn't send His Son into the lost world in order to save some and condemn others, but to an already lost and condemned world in order to save everyone in it. Let's stop and talk about that for a minute. All right. There is a theology that's going around that God is just coming down and He's judging and He's saving some and He's condemning others and everything else. Jesus right here says, God didn't send His Son down here to condemn. All of you are condemned already. So all those people that think well of themselves, you are condemned too. (laughs) Okay? You think you're seated in a good place, you're in a very bad place. Every one of you is in a very bad place. So the only thing God could do is come to save Everybody. Did you get that? See, I think this is just an awesome truth. Because then we begin to understand that the position that we're in, or the position that we were in, for the people that are here, okay, and some still are, was a very bad position. We were going to hell. Nothing that we did was going to get us into heaven. None of our good works was going to get that way. Because it says in Ephesians, not of good works, lest any of us should boast. I was good enough. Nobody can make that boast. Everybody was going to hell. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? Wages of sin is death. Okay? Romans 3.23 and 6.23. Anyway... So we have this situation where we understand that was the state that the world was in and God didn't send His Son to further condemn a condemned world. Why am I harping on this? Because we have to be really careful how we minister the gospel to people. Sometimes people have this attitude of God has a real bone to pick with people. And that God is judging people and it's, it's a bad God. And I mean, look at Job. And everybody picked Job. <laughs> you know, okay? And they have no idea what Job is about, but they'll pick him. Because it'll support their argument. And until you start looking at Job, and then you begin to realize what's actually going on there. And it's something totally different to what we think. Alright? But again, I don't have time to look at Job today. Alright, so we see here again that Jesus makes it clear that God didn't send His Son into a lost world in order to, to condemn it. Alright? But they were already condemned and he's here to save everyone in it. Second, William Hendrickson says that as the Jews saw it, the, the Messiah, watch, the, listen to this now, okay? The Messiah at his coming would condemn the heathen. Did you hear that? Okay, so this is what they're believing. The day of Jehovah would mean punishment. Excuse me, I should have turned the page. Would mean punishment for the nations which had oppressed Israel. But Not for Israel. There's no punishment for Israel. Wow. Okay. This misinterpretation of prophecy had been condemned most severely by Amos. But it was never received nor acknowledged. So we're going to look at Amos and see what Amos actually said. Amos chapter 5. I'm going to be reading it from the New Living Translation because I don't want to have to explain everything as we go. I wanted to tell the story as it stands. Are you ready? Amos chapter 5 beginning in verse 18. Amos is saying, how terrible it will be for you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here, for then the Lord would rescue us from all our enemies. So who would be saying that? Let's stop for a minute. Israel is saying, yeah? Okay, so God's people. Alright? So he's saying, this is what you think. You can't wait for the Lord to come. Because you think this is what's going to happen. And here come the but. But, (laughs) you have no idea what you are wishing for. 
That day will not bring light and prosperity, but darkness and disaster. Yeah. Now, who was that true for? All the Pharisees and all the Sadducees and all the people that made a business out of this. Amen? In that day, you will be like a man who runs from a... This is a real comedy skit now, okay? So, grin if you want, it's fine. In that day, you will be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. And after escaping the bear, he leans his hand against the wall in his house and is bitten by a snake. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're just going from one disaster to another. Every time you escape one, there's another one jumps out from somewhere else. Okay, you run from a lion to a bear to a snake. It's not good. Okay, especially when the snake bites. All right. You need to understand that he's saying that when this time comes, what, what was happening to the religious Jews? When, they, when Jesus first came, they thought, ooh, this looks like our Messiah. Okay? Except he wasn't working with their program. Huh? He you know, it's just like, uh, why don't you, you know, why don't you do things the way we want you to do things? Why do you have to insist on doing things the way God says it should be done? I mean, don't we all hear God? And we start seeing the animosity that begins to come when he starts saying, you know, don't do like what the Pharisees do. And don't, they're going, hang on a second. Excuse me. Everybody worships us. Because the Pharisees love the high seats in the council and, you know, the prominent places. Remember, Jesus always talks about that. That, you know, they just always love to just have all kinds of praise from men. And they pray loud prayers. Everybody go, ooh, Pharisees praying. Ooh, let's look at that and throw money or something. You know, whatever. Ooh, look, a Pharisee's giving. There's a trumpet blowing, you know, or making a big deal out of it. Not necessarily a trumpet, but he's just making a big deal out of it. You know, just so it's like, ta-da. And by the way, I fast. Ta-da. Okay? And all those things. And... Jesus goes, don't do that stuff, that's terrible. And he's causing them all kinds of problems. And it's really sad, isn't it? He heals people, and even raising the dead. And instead of standing there and going, yeah, this is our Messiah. They grumble, it's the wrong day of the week. So they just get madder and madder. And so they go from destruction to destruction. Because the more you reject the Son of God, the more you reject God's gift to mankind, the worse position you put yourself in. Do you hear me? You go from the, bear, from the lion to the bear to the snake, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And that's why Jesus was going to say at the end, you are going to realize at the end that all of you are going to hell. That's basically what he said at the end of the day. And he said, you're going to look up and see Abraham and Isaac and everything else. And realize then that they made it, you didn't. You call yourself children of Abraham and yet you're going to be in hell itself. So, okay. Moving on. I'm in Amos 5 and verse 20. Yes, the day of the Lord will be a dark and hopeless day without a ray of joy or hope. Now God is going to speak. I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. Now wait a second. So what's happening with all the Jews that are going around the world saying, we should be celebrating more of these things and those things. And because, you know, that's what God likes. And what we did in the old religion, we should be doing now. And if only we were doing those things now. Look at what Amos says. I hate all of that. Because it's all religion. And it makes you feel nice. But it's not making me happy. Do you hear me? Let's continue. 
And so he says, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies, you know, solemn assemblies, sound like certain denominational, anyway, all right, <laughs> I will not accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. See, people say, well, if we don't do this, God's going to be angry. Notice God's, they're doing it and he's not happy. He's not accepting it. Amen? He says, I will not accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Wow. Away with your hymns of praise. They are only noise to my ears. I will not listen to your music, no matter how lovely it is. Instead, listen now. I want to see a mighty flood of justice. A river of righteous living that will never run dry. He said, I want justice. Do what's right by people. Stop playing all these games and then doing everything to take advantage of people. Stop that. You know, you think you're coming in and raising your hands and singing and dancing and praise and worship, and then you, you know, first opportunity to get, you do something bad to someone. Stop doing that stuff. Okay? This is a lifestyle. He says, I want justice, a flood, a mighty flood of justice, and a river of righteous living. Do you know what? A river flows, it needs to be constantly moving. Amen? And he says that will never run dry. These verses perfectly describe the state of many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, who simply refused to heed this warning, and so continued to sink further and further into spiritual and moral depravity. And why Jesus says, we'll finish with this um, and have a break. Why Jesus says to them in Matthew 23, beginning in verse 13 and 14, he says, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Notice back here, he says the, in Amos 5.21, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals. See that? Okay. So notice G- Jesus is starting to identify now. He says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Instead of opening the door wide and encouraging them in. See, this is the opposite. I put that in so you could see the opposite of what's going on. Okay. So instead of them doing the right thing and making it inviting... So that people would, you know, when, when they got saved, or when they wanted to find, the, find out about the real God, they would be welcomed in and would be treated specially well. Instead of like a dog and there's your Gentile courts and stay out there with the cows and everything else that's going on. Well, we go worship in here. Hmm? Which is what Jesus was so mad about. He can see people trying to get saved and this is how you treat them. Wow. All right. So he says again, For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, watch that now, you neither go in yourselves. That is a startling statement. He's saying you actually don't go in yourselves. So you are meant to be the people that let the world know about the kingdom, and you yourselves don't, don't go in, and you stop other people from going in. Who are these people working for? Not God. Amen? And he says, Nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Verse 14, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Now, devour widows' houses means that what they do is, they'll go and tell widows, now if you really want to make God happy, when you die, you, you bequeath your property and your house to the church. When you drop dead, you give it to us, and God will be happy, and you might go to heaven. Are you all here? They used to work their little schemes. That's why Jesus was so angry with them all the time. Because they took advantage of people in the worst possible way. In the guise of religion. 
And he says here, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers. So you're not praying long prayers because you are concerned about the people, and you're pouring your heart out to God, and the, the length of your prayers is the greatness of your concern. And you're praying long because there's so much that needs to be done, and you're saying, God, I'm not going to stop here until it's done. No, that's not what you're doing it for. Your long prayers have a whole other meaning. It's all pretense. It's all so people can see you. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. We've run out of time on this one. Can we stop here and come back and pick up in Matthew 23, 23? Because he just continues blasting their teeth out. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I just want to take, take it slow here. So that we truly do understand what Jesus meant when he said God did not send his son to condemn the world. Amen? All right. So we'll, we'll pick this up in the next session. Have a break.